Our sermon text this morning is Luke 2, um, verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather here together this morning and to praise you for all that you have done. Um, Father, I pray for your message now, Lord, the message you have given to Brent to share with us this morning. I thank you for how um, you have guided him and given him the words, and I pray that now you would open our hearts to receive. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here. Merry Christmas uh, again. Um, it is upon us. We are on the verge of Christmas Day. Uh, it is here. It is right here in front of us. Um, and for those of us in the room who like to count down those days until it's here and, and all that kind of stuff, it's just a few days away now. Just three or four days. Thursday is it. And then you can start your countdown all over again, right? And you can get ready for Christmas 2015 to, uh, to get here. Um, but for right now, this morning, I want us to just kind of revel in this Christmas season, just kind of bask in it a little bit, um, ponder in it a little bit what this season really is. We want to kind of, as Rick said one time, marinade, you know, we want to kind of marinate in it for a little bit here. So if you will, go ahead and grab your Bible and uh, turn to Luke chapter 2. Uh, this is probably one of the most famous of the Christmas stories, uh, the one that, that most everybody knows, I think. Um, but before we get into the passage this morning, I want to share uh, a little something. Um, since we are in the Christmas season, Christmas tradition is always a big part of, of this season and that kind of thing. And I want to share a uh, tradition that we had in our family uh, when I was growing up. And it kind of involves this same passage of Scripture with uh, Luke chapter 2. Now, I'm going to go ahead and apologize in advance because I'm liable to get emotional. All right, it's, it's probably going to happen. I'm just going to 
let you know beforehand that, uh, that I might get a little teary-eyed. Um, so anyway, Christmas Day for us was a big day. It was a big day. It was a very big day, very busy, busy day. Um, it always started at our house. It started at my mom and dad's house, me and, and my sister, uh, Mush. That's what I call my sister. Her name is Michelle, but I, I call her Mush. Um, and uh, we would always wake up early Christmas morning. We'd go wake up mom and daddy, and then you'd go into the living room, and we'd open presents and all that kind of stuff. And it was a good time. I mean, it was, a, it was just an enjoyable time that we had together with our, uh, our little family there. And uh, we would spend a couple of hours there at the house together just kind of enjoying the Christmas season. And uh, after that is when the chaos would ensue. All right, that's when the, the chaos would begin because we would leave our house at that point and we would go to my grandparents' house in Fuquay. This is my dad's parents. Uh, we would meet there with about 30 or 40 other folks. Um, we weren't the Duggars, but we were right on it. I mean, we were right on the verge there. Uh, there was about 30 or, 30 or 40 of us there at, uh, at my grandma and granddaddy's house, at, uh, at mama and granddaddy's house. And uh, we would eat lunch there, we would do Christmas there, and then we would leave Fuquay sometime in the afternoon, and we'd head over to Benson. And we would go to my mom's parents' house with another 30 or 40 people. Uh, my mom and dad both had what I call large families. They had three or four brothers and sisters, and all of them had kids and grandkids and all that kind of stuff. So it was, a, it was quite the crowd. And uh, so we would do all that and traverse all that in the course of what was Christmas Day. And we would get home late that evening, exhausted and tired and everything. And it makes me tired just thinking about it, telling you about what we did. And, and I don't know how my parents did it, but because it makes me tired thinking about it now. But um, as a kid, it was an awesome day. I loved it. I looked forward to it every year. It was always just fun. Um, but the tradition that I want to share involves my, uh, my mama and granddaddy's house. Uh, that's my mom and, or my dad's parents and uh, what we did there, it was something that we, that we did there. Like I said, everybody would get there. We would eat lunch together. And uh, as soon as we were finished eating lunch, as many of us as possible would cram into the living room. All right? And we couldn't get many of us because there was the Christmas tree and there was a bunch of presents and all that kind of stuff. So we could only get about 15 of us in there. And then everybody else just had to try to get within an earshot of, of that room, usually in the dining room and over into the kitchen. Uh, this was not a big house by any stretch of the imagination, so uh, it was hot and it was fun. But um, we would all gather together in there and, uh, and we would read the Christmas story. We would read Luke chapter 2, the very same passage that, that Jamie just read. We would read that. We would sit there. We would talk about it a little bit. We would share a little bit about it and, and who it's about and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the reason we exchange gifts, you know, because Jesus is the greatest gift of all and, and all that kind of stuff. And then, this is where I'll probably start getting emotional. Um, my granddaddy would pray. And he just, if you knew my granddad, he was just a, a humble, gentle man uh, most of the time. He, he could get rambunctious every now and then. But um, anyway, he, he would pray. And he would just pray a beautiful prayer for us, thanking God, praising God for all the gifts that he'd given us and just everything that he had, had done for us. And uh, then after that, it was present opening time. We would, you know, start opening gifts and, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, what makes that so special? What, what that tradition, why I want to share that with you anyway, it really has more to do with my granddad than it does anything else. 
Um, <laughs> I didn't want to do this. But um, he, when we would gather in there and we would read that Christmas story, he wasn't the one that would read it. I wish I could have heard him read that story. But he couldn't. He didn't read it because he couldn't read it. He couldn't read or write anything. He could write his name, and he could read a few, a few little things, but he couldn't really read or write anything much. He had, like, maybe a third-grade education, if that. Now, granted, third grade now is... That might as well be high school then, but... He, it was a third-grade education that he had if, again, if he had that. But um, he was a very wise, a very humble and good man. He was a tobacco farmer, quite honestly. He was just a, a simple tobacco farmer. And actually, he was a tenant farmer, um, meaning that he would farm other people's land. He never owned a piece of land. He never had anything like that. He, just, he farmed other people's land for them, essentially. And he was good at it. He was very good at it. Literally, people would come to him and seek him out to farm their land for them. He just, for whatever reason, my dude knew what he was doing when it came to growing, tending, and curing tobacco. Good at it. He was just very, very good at it. And like I say, people literally would seek him out to do it. Um, And it really, more than that, he just knew how to grow anything out of the ground. He grew the best collards you would ever eat. I mean, he was, just, he was just good at that kind of thing. Um, but not only could he not read or write, but uh, they never really had much, my, my grandparents. They never had a whole lot of, lot of stuff as far as material things go. Um, he and Mama, they never owned a home. They never owned their own house. They rented their houses. Uh, they lived and bounced around all over the place between, like, Harnett and Johnston and Wake Counties. Um, most of their time was spent in Fuquay. That was the, the last 30 years or so of their, uh, of their life. But uh, they never owned anything, never owned a home, nothing like that. They never drove a nice car. It was always some little beater that somebody gave them or something like that. Uh, so they never had a lot of stuff, materially speaking, again. But they always had what they needed. And I, I basically grew up at their house. I loved being with them. It was just always always fun. And then after my granddad quit farming when he retired, (laughs) that's when he just started helping everybody. He was doing stuff for everybody in the community. He would look after Mr. Derwood Thomas. I can remember him. He would look after his dogs. He was always going over there feeding Mr. Derwood's dogs. Uh, Mr. Coy Wood was a good friend of his. He was always doing stuff for uh, Mr. and Ms. Wood. He was just a very giving, giving man, always serving others, doing everything he could to help somebody out never too concerned about himself uh just not a not a real prideful man quite honestly um and that's just who he was that's that's kind of what he did and even though he had very little in terms of material things in terms of stuff and uh and that kind of thing he was always very content very content with what he had uh he never complained about what he didn't have never you never heard him talk about the things that he didn't have and things that he wished that he had and and that kind of stuff he was just a very very content and very humble man um as far as i knew anyway i never saw any other side of him really um but even though he did uh did have very little things he was 
he was just always humble. He was always content. He always served others. And I've always, the point I'm trying to make is why he did that, why he was the way he was, even though he had so little. And the series that we're in, we're talking about peace and Christmas peace. And that's what he had. He just, he had a peace about him that was unfathomable. He was just a very, he was just at, at peace all the time. He knew what it meant to have real peace. The peace of God that comes from knowing Jesus. And I had heard stories. I never knew him before he knew Christ. But I heard he was a mean drunk. He would fight. I mean, he was just, it was, he was tough. And when he got saved, man, it just, it was like a switch. Complete flip. He, he just completely changed. Um, I can't, like I say, I never knew him beforehand. I've just heard the stories. Um, but he knew what it meant to have the peace of God. He, he truly, truly knew that. Um, he knew and he embraced the good news that of the great joy that would be for all people that the angel talked about, that, that Jamie just read. He knew that. Uh, he knew that good news. He knew that great joy. Um, and that was Jesus. That was Jesus Christ. It was not a manufactured counterfeit kind of peace that we can certainly try to find in things other than Jesus. That wasn't what it was for him. It was a legit, real relationship with Jesus. And that's all he had to look to was Jesus. And that's all he needed. Jesus was enough. He never, like I say, he never complained, never looked for anything else. He, uh, he had that, that peace. And that relationship was real to him because it was so big for him because it was real. It, he had experienced it. It was something that he had experienced for himself. He had experienced it firsthand. And like I said, he couldn't read or write. He, he could not read or write. So he couldn't read these stories on his own. But let me tell you, when it was being read and when he was listening to a sermon, my man was engaged. He loved it. He loved it. I can remember hearing um, our pastor at the time, Preacher Timmy, and my dad would always, or my granddad would always sit over on this side of the sanctuary, and he was locked in with whatever Preacher Timmy was saying, and he was so engaged that he would be like mouthing whatever Preacher Timmy was saying. I mean, it was like he was mimicking it he just was fully fully all in with um with everything there and that relationship it was just so real to him and he would hear these stories and he would hear these things and he was it's like he heard it for the first time every time it never got old he never got tired of it it was just always real it was always right there and he just he embraced it and he grabbed it and he he loved it it was always fresh to him it it, it just never got old to him and you could see it all over his face you could see it all over his being he would he would either get really emotional he was a he was a tender-hearted man my dad says that he would cry at the drop of a hat and then he would drop the hat if he needed to so he would he would do that um or he would just get it just get super excited about things and and it was just fun to watch him and you could tell that uh that his relationship with God was real and uh, and he praised God for it he he praised God for it and I say all that to say that I hope that can be the reality for us today. That we can look at a story that is so familiar, that we know so well, and look at it with fresh eyes. Just kind of open our, our heart to a brand new, or open our heart to it in a brand new way. You know, that we would all walk out of this building this morning knowing and having the peace of God. That we would see this story with fresh new eyes 
like we're learning it for the first time, and that we would leave here praising God as a result of it. That's my prayer. That's what I hope this morning. Now, we are looking at a very familiar story. Uh, We all know at least some of this story, I'm sure, because if I were to ask for a show of hands, how many people have a nativity scene in your house? Okay, so you at least know the gist of the story, all right? You know Mary and Joseph left Nazareth. They're on their way to Bethlehem. They get there. Mary's like 10 months pregnant. She should have already had the baby and everything. She gets there. They have the baby, and little baby Jesus is laying in the manger, and and, uh, the shepherds come and all this kind of stuff. And and we know the story because we've been around it for years. We've been around it for years and years and years. So what I want to do is I want to look at kind of the second half of the story. I want to look at the second half with the shepherds and moving forward from that and uh, just see if we can glean a few things from it this morning. So look at verses 8 and 9 of Luke chapter 2. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. So picture this scene. Okay, picture this scene in your mind of these shepherds in this field. And I would think that would be pretty easy for some of you because some of you were involved in the whole reenactment thing that just happened a couple weeks ago, right? You just, you just lived this scene a little while ago. So you know what it was like. You know what it looked like. So they're in the middle of the night. They're in the middle of nowhere. There's no lights, maybe a moonlight, maybe some stars in the sky, that kind of thing. But that would have been it, so it's dark. It's dark, it's quiet, it's still. They're just watching over the sheep. And then, bam, there's an angel. Just all of a sudden, where did this angel come from? And it terrifies them, it scares them to death. It says they're filled with fear. Now, let me say this. This is not a little naked baby angel playing a harp. Okay, floating down on a cloud. That is not what this angel was. Okay, because one, those angels don't exist. (laughs) They are not real. That is a figment of someone's imagination. And two, who in the world would be scared of an angel like that? Right? Nothing terrifying about a little naked baby angel. It's not there. So that is not what showed up. They were filled with fear. This was a terrifying creature. All right? This is something that scared them to death. It didn't scare them just a little bit. You know, they weren't like, whoa, what was that? Let's go check it out. No, they were, I, I picture them like frozen with fear, terrified at what they were seeing. They probably had a hard time even reacting because they were so scared. Now, me personally, I know how I get when I'm at home and I'm fast asleep and everything's quiet and Carly, our nine-year-old, Comes easing into our bedroom like a ninja. All right, she eases up to my side of the bed, and with that still small voice, she says, Daddy. And I come unglued because it terrifies me. If I, if I react that way to my own daughter, how would I have reacted had I seen this angel? Well, I'm not even going to tell you what I probably would have had to do. But yeah, I don't think it would have been good. I don't think it would have been good. Um, I think if I froze with fear, I would be happy. Um, I could tell you another story, but I'm not. Um, So 
not only did this angel show up all of a sudden and terrify them, that wasn't the only thing that showed up. This angel showed up, and then the glory of the Lord shone around them as well. So it wasn't just the angel by itself. It was the angel plus the glory of the Lord. Now, the glory of the Lord is a symbol of the presence of God. All right, that is a, that is a symbol, that is a clue that the presence of God was there among them. It's like the Shekinah glory of God that Moses experienced when he went up on the mountain and received the Ten Commandments and he would come down and his face would be glowing. That kind of thing. That's the kind of glory that was there. Uh, the same glory that Moses experienced in the Old Testament. Now, I would imagine this would have been a very impressive scene, right? To behold as one of the shepherds. And I think that's why Luke is describing it this way. He's wanting us to get a vision of what they saw and what they experienced. He wants us to picture this whole thing in our mind. He wants us to see it for what it is. It is a glorious and supernatural event taking place. It is not a normal occurrence. Now, I'm not sure that the angel or that the, uh, that the shepherds actually understood and knew what they were seeing. But um, nonetheless, they knew something supernatural was happening. They, they knew something was going on, and they knew that they were a part of it as well. So I don't think they just wrote this whole thing off as some bad pizza they ate the night before. All right? They, they knew something was going on here, and we'll see that. We know that that's not how they reacted because we see how they responded in just a few minutes. But the angel didn't just come to hang out with them and chill, you know, in the field and then go back to heaven. The angel came with a purpose. He had a very, very important announcement to make he had a job to do and we see that in the next handful of verses look at verses 10 and 11 as we just move on through here and Luke writes and the angel said to them fear not for behold I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. So this angel had an announcement to make. He had a job to do, as all angels do. They come with a purpose. They don't just come to hang out. They come sent by God to do something. This angel had a job to do. He was going to announce the birth of a child. He is announcing the birth of a little baby. Not just any little baby, but the Savior. Christ the Lord, he calls him. This is the Son of God. This is Emmanuel that he is announcing here. God with us. This is the birth of the creator of the universe. The one who created everything is being born as a little baby. That's what this angel is announcing. This is God, this is heaven breaking through into earth, into his own creation in a way that had never been seen or experienced before. In a whole brand new way. Nobody has ever seen or experienced this in the past. The creator is coming down to the created, to his own creation to be a part of his creation this is God coming down to his own to be the rescuer to be the deliverer to ransom his people to purchase them back for himself to essentially buy them back that is the purpose for this child coming and that's why the child was coming that's what the child was coming for that's why the angel had to make this announcement now my question comes in with why is it only the shepherds that get this announcement. Normally, when royalty is born, everybody knows about it, right? When somebody special like that is born, 
the world knows about it. Think about just a few years ago, uh, Prince William and Kate, right? Who on the planet did not know that they were pregnant and going to have a baby? You didn't know it, Joey? <laughs> I don't know what his name was. I have no idea what the child's name is or anything, but I knew they were pregnant and I knew they had a baby. And I know they're pregnant again. They're royalty. Everybody knows it. Now, a handful of people knew when me and Krista got pregnant. I'm not going to say that everybody did, but we're not royalty. This is God of heaven coming down, right? Why only the shepherds? I think the, the answer to that is humility. Uh, God had to come in a humble way. He came humbly, obediently. Um, it wasn't with a lot of pomp and circumstance. It was a very quiet birth other than the angels coming. And we'll look at that in here in just a second as well. And this is good news. The fact that God came as a humble servant like he did is good news. And it will be a great joy to all the people. Okay, that's how the angel described it, right? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. His birth is going to be good news. It's going to be uh, a glory. It's going to bring great joy to all the people. Now, good news, that phrase good news is where we get the term gospel from. Have you ever heard that? The gospel is good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's all Greek stuff, and that's where that word comes from. Um, and then the fact that this gospel will bring great joy means that it's going to be delightful. It's going to bring cheer. It's going to cheer things up. It's going to brighten things. It's going to be a good thing. People will delight in this child being born. Good news, the, this good news and the delight of this good news is found in the titles that the angel uses to describe this child, okay? The, the fact that it is good news, the fact that it is going to be a great joy can be seen in how he describes baby Jesus. So other than the fact, and it, this is hard for us because we're looking at it from this side of things. We, we know who the baby was. We understand who the baby was, right? The shepherds had no idea, just a baby, but then they hear these titles. What do these titles mean? What do they show us other than the fact that we know this is Jesus? What do, what do we learn about this baby from these titles? Well, the first one is the Savior. He is going to be the Savior. Okay? That means deliverer. He's going to be the deliverer. In the Old Testament, this term deliverer would refer to one who delivers from enemies that seek to destroy you or to deliver you from disease, disease that seeks to kill you. Okay, so they, they would understand that term in that sense, that he's the Savior, he's the Deliverer, he's going to relieve you from something. You know, you're in trouble, you're hurting, something's bad happening, and he is going to deliver you out of it. We today have an enemy that is seeking to destroy all of us, and that is sin. Sin is seeking to devour us. Sin is seeking to pull us away from God. Okay? It wants to destroy us. It wants to kill us. We need to be delivered from that. And we cannot deliver ourselves. Every time we tell a little white lie for any reason whatsoever. Every time we lash out angrily at someone. Even if we're the only ones that know it happened. Even if we're alone. Nobody else is around but we lash out angrily at somebody. Who does that in their car? That would be me. 
Every time we act with a lustful heart or we covet what our neighbor has or we get jealous about something, every time we put something or someone ahead of God in our lives, every time we put ourselves ahead of others or when we act selfishly, that's all sin. It is seeking to consume us and to devour us, to destroy us. We need a Savior. We need someone to deliver us from that end that comes from sin. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. That is referring to a spiritual death. We need to be delivered from that. That describes all of humanity. Nobody is immune to this disease. We're all suffering from it. Romans chapter 3 verses 10 and 12 tells us this. And this is a quote actually from Psalm 14, I believe it is. And Paul writes, As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. Excuse me, seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. That's who we are. That's who we are. We run away from God. We do not look for Him. We don't seek after Him. If we're left to ourselves, that's who we are. But Jesus came down to be the Savior, to deliver us from that plight. The angel that appeared to Joseph, Jesus' earthly dad, in uh, Matthew chapter 21, that angel told him this. I have no idea if it was the same angel. Maybe. I'm not sure. But that angel told Joseph this. He said, She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. He is the, he is the deliverer. He is the Savior. Now, here's the thing that caused an issue with most of Israel's leaders. Only God can forgive sins. They said that. Jesus confirmed that. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus forgave sins. Jesus is God. Jesus is God in the flesh. That's why his name is Emmanuel, God with us. He is God in the flesh. He is the Savior. He is the Deliverer. The second title that we see there is that he is the Christ. He's the Savior, Christ. Christ means, is the, is the translated from the word Christos, uh, which means Messiah. It means anointed one. All right, that means that Jesus is the long-awaited and final anointed king. If you're familiar with church at all and kind of church history and uh, Hebrew history a little bit, um, Samuel went and anointed David as a little boy to be king. He anointed him. He, he called him out. He consecrated him. He set him aside because God had said that he is going to be my king. Jesus is the final of that. That's why he was born in the lineage of David. Um, he is set apart as the one true king for God's people. He's the king of Israel. Jesus would be a better David because he is God himself. David was just a man after God's own heart. Jesus is God. He is the king. And he is the king, he is the one who will fulfill all the promises that God ever made. It's all going to come through Christ. 
all the promises made in the Old and New Testaments are going to be fulfilled in the person of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, just the first part of it. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the Anointed One. So if there's a promise that God has made, if He promises He will never leave you nor forsake you, that is fulfilled in Christ. He's the one that fulfills all those promises. And then the last title is the Lord. So he is the Savior, Christ, the Lord. Now that title, Lord, carries this meaning with it. Having supreme and sovereign authority. Having supreme and sovereign authority. We don't like that. That's not our favorite, right? We like the Savior. That's good. We don't mind the Messiah. We don't like the Lord, typically. Because we want to rule over our own lives. We want to be in control. The fact that He is the Lord means that He's in control. We surrender to Him. We submit to Him. Okay, He has supreme and sovereign authority. Jesus is the ruler over everything. He has the authority over everything. I read something, and I'm going to butcher this. I'm just going to tell you. Something that C.H. Spurgeon said, Spurgeon was a pastor in England years and years and years ago, but he talked about looking at a sunbeam through a window and how you can see the dust particles. Those dust particles don't move an atom that God doesn't say it can move. That's the kind of control that they have, that Jesus has over everything. Everything in the universe is created by him, for him, through him. Look at what Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20 says. Should be on the screen there. Paul writes this. He is the image of the invisible God. He being Jesus, that's who Paul is talking about. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, again Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He was God. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is in control of everything. Everything. In every way, every form, nothing happens that he does not allow to happen. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 also say this. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord. To what end? To the glory of God the Father. So we've got this preeminent God in control of everything. Nothing happens that he doesn't have a part in in some way. God has highly exalted him, given him a name that everybody is going to bow down to him. Everything. He is Lord. 
And yet he came born in a stable to a virgin girl in a little town called Bethlehem. A story that we know very well. We know the story about little baby Jesus. We can ask little Kelsey, who is that? It's baby Jesus. We know it, but do we know it? Do we know it? Do we see it new every time? Because he did humbly come to do a great, great work and to bring good news of great joy. So Jesus is Savior. He is Christ. He is Lord. And it is indeed the good news that should bring us great joy that he is those things. Because if he wasn't, we have no hope. We have no hope if he is not Savior, Christ, and Lord. Again, the question is, do we see him that way? Do you see him that way this morning? Do you see him as Savior, Christ, and Lord? Have you acknowledged him for who he is and who he wants to be in your life? Or again, do you just see him as little baby Jesus? Little eight pound, four ounce baby Jesus. I have no idea how much he weighed. I have no clue how much he weighed. But is that how you see him? Can you look at this story with fresh eyes today? Can you see Jesus for who he really is? Because this is what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that we have heard this story for so long and so often that we just don't recognize it. We don't see it. We don't look at it at the reality of it. I wish I could be more like my granddaddy because this stuff, man, to him, it was new. It was fresh every time. It never got old. I mean, it was like it was the first time he heard it every time he heard it. I'm not that way. I'll tend to, to gloss over things too easily. And I think we, we can do that. We hear the story all the time. We, see, we put out the nativity scene. You know, we, we know all this stuff. We sing the songs. We sing the song. Man, there was so much truth in those songs that we just sang. Did we really ponder it? Did we really think about what those songs were saying? And what we're really supposed to be celebrating during this time of year? I'm, I'm really afraid that this story and everything that kind of comes with it has, at the very worst, become white noise to everything else that goes on during the kind of months between November and December. Or at best, it's an add-on or a filler. You know, just kind of something to, to fill a little more space in our lives instead of really being the real reason for our celebration. Now, the angels clearly understand who this child is and what he was supposed to do. And we know that because... They celebrated it. They celebrated big time. Look at verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angel finished his announcement to the shepherds, and then what happens? They break out in praise. Not only the angel, a multitude more angels come okay one angel can bring the news that's that's sufficient 
One angel can come and say, hey, this is what's about to happen. It takes an army of angels to celebrate it, to praise it, okay? Jesus may not have come with a lot of pomp and circumstance here on earth, but there was infinite pomp and circumstance in heaven, all right? There was a lot of pomp and circumstance going on up there. The heavens cannot contain itself because of the news. And here's the other thing. The angels cannot really comprehend what he just announced. They don't know the things that we know as far as redemption and being saved and God being a deliverer and Christ and Lord. They don't know that. They know the Lord part. They know the King part. They definitely don't know the Savior part. They don't grasp that. And yet they praise God for this child. And that happens, I think, because these angels are trying to tell us, they're trying to tell these shepherds through their own praise what this good news of Jesus being born should mean. Okay? They are declaring to the earth just how significant the birth of Jesus really is. Okay? So in their declaration, in their praise of this announcement, they point to two different things that happen as a result of Jesus being born. Okay, two different things happen as a result of Jesus being born. Number one, God gets glory. God gets glory. Glory to God in the highest, the angel said. Number two, men get peace. We get peace as a result of that. God is praised and glorified because Jesus is born. Men get peace. We receive peace from God because Jesus is born. John Piper, when he preached a sermon on this same, uh, this same text a couple years ago, he said this, and the quote should be up on the, the screen. He said, these are the great purposes for the coming of Jesus. Glory ever ascending from man to God, and peace ever descending from God to man. That's a, that's, I just think that's a beautiful way to say it. There, God is forever getting glory from our end because of Jesus being born. Peace is coming down to us from God. Ever ascending, ever descending. Now, the sermon series we're in is, is based on this peace that comes from this Christmas season. Now, we all know it's tough to find peace during Christmas, right? We've talked about that. It's, it's hard. You've got to buy gifts. You've got family to go meet with, family you had not seen in a year that you don't really want to be around. All this kind of stuff that comes, that comes with the Christmas season but there's a peace that can be found in it okay there is a peace that can be found in it what is that peace what is that peace that my granddaddy had what is it that peace that we should have from the fact that jesus has been born that peace number one primarily first and foremost is peace with god we can have peace with god because of jesus being born that is the primary and most basic need of every human being on the face of the earth. And why is that? We said it a few minutes ago. We're born sinners. We're born sinners, lost, undone, helpless. We're enemies of God, the Bible tells us. We're enemies of God, deserving of His full wrath, complete and total wrath. Not, we're deserving of punishment. We're not deserving of anything Good, And yet he sends Jesus, the ultimate good, the greatest of all goods, to bring us peace. So peace with God comes only by and through faith in Jesus. 
That's the only way it comes. All right, look at Romans 5.1. Romans 5.1, just a couple things really quickly here. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified, okay, being justified means being declared just, being declared right before God. And God does that by imputing the righteousness of Jesus onto us. Okay, That's what being justified means. That God's, Jesus' righteousness is imputed to us. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by what? By faith. Faith is believing. Believing in who Jesus is. Accepting who He is. Trusting in Him as your Savior, Christ, and Lord. That's by faith. So we are justified by faith in who Jesus is. And we have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as you keep reading through chapter 5 there... He goes on to talk about how we are enemies with God. While we were still enemies of God, he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us to make us not enemies with him. Okay, so there's no other way to attain peace with God. You cannot get it. You cannot get it through good works. You cannot get it through uh, church membership. You cannot get it through being a good person. Uh, You cannot get it through anything other than faith in Christ. It cannot come through your parents. It cannot come through any sort of church tradition. It cannot come through baptism or any other religious activity. Peace with God comes through faith alone in Christ alone. That's it. There's no other way to get it. When we embrace and we trust Jesus, His anger, God's anger toward us is then thwarted if we place our faith and our trust in Jesus. He removes our sin, and He adopts us into His family. We become one of His children. And then, once we have that peace with God, then we can begin to have peace in the rest of our lives. If we don't have the peace with God, all other peace is just temporal at best. It lasts for a little while. You might be able to get it for a short period of time. But if you don't have peace with God, it cannot last. You cannot begin to have peace with yourself. You cannot begin to have peace with others without having the peace with God first. Now, being at peace with God, understanding and knowing that Jesus is the Savior, Christ, and Lord, being exposed to that truth and embracing that truth, that frees us to be able to respond. That gives us freedom to respond to Him And then we can bring glory to Him through our response. That's where the glory ever ascending to God comes from. It comes from our response to that good news. Okay, the shepherds responded. The shepherds responded to that announcement they heard. They didn't have to do this, okay? The angel came. The angel told them what they were going to see and what they would find. They could have just stayed there. They could have just stayed in the field and said, wow, that's really cool, and just left it at that. They didn't. They said, let's go see this thing. Let's go find, this is amazing news. Let's go find this baby. Okay, so they went. They went to Bethlehem. They went to see, they wanted to see the proof of what this angel had told them about. And they found it to be exactly the way the angel said it. They found it exactly the way he described it would be. And then we see their response in verse number 20. Verse number 20 gives us the the shepherd's response. And it says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, 
as it had been told them. They returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. They wanted proof. They went to see it. They saw it. They praised God as a result. Their faith was confirmed. Their faith was deepened as a result of that firsthand experience. Should that not be our response to this story as well? Should we not glorify and praise God for this story? And not just glorify Him and praise Him for it the first time we hear it. You know, it's easy to, to glorify and praise God when you first get saved, when you first accept this knowledge and you understand it. It's easy to praise Him then because it's so, it's so real. It's, it's there. You know, it's, shouldn't we praise Him more than just once a year? You know, it should be more than just at Christmas time too. You know, it should be more often than that. If we can really stop and consider this story, this, this account of the birth of Jesus as more than just a story that we talk about at Christmas time, if we can look at it with fresh eyes each time we look at it, each time we read it, as if it were the first time we heard it, wouldn't that and shouldn't that turn our hearts to praise? Because it is amazing news. It is indeed good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. It is good, good news. So if we look at this story and we consider the fact that it is so much more than just a story about little baby Jesus. Jesus is so much more than a little baby laying in a manger. He's so much more than that. He is the baby laying in a manger, yes. He is also God in the flesh. He was sent to earth as a gift for us to be our Savior, our Deliverer, to be the Christ, the Anointed One, the true King, to be the Lord having supreme authority over everything in the universe. And if we can see this story in that light every time we read it, then, our th then I think our response would be and should be worship and praise as well. Just like the shepherds. Just like the shepherds. Now, that praise and that worship can manifest itself in a variety of ways. All right? we, can, we, can explain, or we can show that, we can display that in any number of of ways, um, it can certainly show up as praise and worship here in a corporate worship setting. You know, on Sunday mornings when we're gathered together and we're singing and we're praising, it can certainly come out as that, and it should come out as that. Um, just being glad for the thing that the things that God has provided for you, being content with what you have, not looking because God knows what you need. He knows what you need before you need it. He's going to provide it. He promises to provide it. Do you trust Him to provide it? Be content with what you have. That praise and worship can show up as humble obedience. Just being obedient. If God's calling you to do something, man, humbly obey and do it. Put others ahead of yourself, that's hard. That, that is hard. I'm not going to deny that. Putting, putting other people ahead of yourself. Try to teach a nine-year-old that. I'm just saying. That's tough. But that's what God demands of us. That's what He calls us to do. He says to love others. Love God by loving others. That praise and worship can manifest itself uh, by just simply not being consumed and saturated with the things of this world. Be consumed with God. Be consumed with His Word and the, being in His presence. Don't be consumed with the things of this world. 
trust God with your finances because sometimes we don't know how we're going to make it. God does. He, nothing has caught him off guard. So you can trust him. Now, I'm not saying be foolish, but trust him. Trust him with your finances. And here's a hard one. Forgive yourself of your sins. Don't hold yourself accountable. Man, if you trust Jesus, he has forgiven you. You are forgiven. It is done. Praise God for doing that. You can have peace with yourself. You can have peace with others. Forgive yourself because God has already forgiven you. Forgive others when they hurt you. Display that good news of great joy to other people. You know, that Jesus has been your Savior or is your Savior. You can display that by forgiving others. And we do that because we understand what we've been forgiven of. That's where that can come from. So, how does this look in your life? How, how, does, how do you need to respond to this story this morning? This birth of this Savior. You know, this birth of little baby Jesus. How do you need to offer praise to God for what you have seen and heard this morning? You have been introduced again to Jesus. Is it like it was the first time? Can you look at it that way? How do you need to respond? Is he everything to you? So I'm going to give you some time to just think about that. And uh, then the praise team is going to come. And uh, we'll pray. And uh, then we'll, we'll close out. So just think right now how you need to respond to this, this news. And how you need to praise and worship God this morning maybe. This morning, but one say thank you. Say thank you for allowing us to see this story, to experience the truth that is Jesus. Lord, we know in our heart, in our mind, in our intellect that Jesus is far more than just a baby in a manger. Lord, we know that He is the Savior. He is the Christ. He is the Lord. How do we respond to that? Father, I pray that we would worship You. I pray that we would be grateful, have thankful hearts, Lord, that we would love You because You have shown such great, great love to us. Lord, Your Word tells us that we are Your enemies. We are at odds with you. We are deserving of your full wrath. But God, you sent your son, Jesus, the Christ, to be our Savior. We have so much to praise you for. So much to worship you for. So much to glorify you for, Lord. And I pray that that's what happens here this morning. I pray, God, that no one would leave this place this morning not knowing you. 
as Savior, Christ, and Lord. Thank you for this story. Thank you for your sovereign hand at work in our lives. Thank you for providing everything that we need. God, we don't go lacking for anything because you are a good and gracious Father. Every good and perfect gift comes down from you, from the Father of lights. We can trust you. Father, I just pray that you would help us to to see this story, to hear this story every time we read it, every time we see something about it, we see a nativity scene or whatever, Lord, and we would rejoice because it's like we're hearing it and seeing it afresh and anew again. Thank you, Father. We say all this, we pray all this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one way that we can respond right now to this good news of great joy is to sing together. So please stand. Let's, uh, let's sing and do that now and praise God for His good gift.